Hey guys, this is Stacy from Must Do Disney and VO Buzz Weekly. You are listening to Stories of the Magic and it is awesome. Don't miss it. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to Episode 94 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we continue our three-part interview with former Walt Disney World cast member Jessica Clausen. In Part 1, we talked about working at Toy Story Midway Mania and in the resorts as a concierge, the transition to Magic Bands and My Disney Experience, and some great guest stories. Now, if you're listening to this episode the day it comes out or the next day, or maybe early on the following day, I'm currently at the 2015 D23 Expo. There's still time to follow along with all the cool stuff, so stay tuned to the Stories of the Magic Facebook page for live reports, happenings, photos, videos, and more throughout the weekend of August 14th to the 16th. And if you'd like to follow me on Periscope at Belgarian42, I'm going to try to do some of that over the weekend as well. You can also send me a private message or write on the Facebook page wall or tweet me at Stories of Magic and let me know if you're there at the Expo and want to meet up and We'll see if we can't coordinate getting together to say hi. Now, in this episode, Jessica talks about a story of basically rescuing a guest's vacation. Something important that working at Walt Disney World taught her. Working the front desk at the All-Stars, including doing a Spanish check-in, even though she doesn't really speak much Spanish. Being a room assigner. Teaching in the Youth Education Series. Science of Disney Imagineering and Exploring Disney Animation History. A time when an angry guest demanded to speak to Walt Disney, youth education series programs in the other Walt Disney World theme parks, which of the programs she taught that was her favorite and why, a detour with some love for Walt Disney, and a bit of a rant over the proper name for Walt Disney World, and a couple of really fun stories from teaching the YES program. Now a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. 
Anomaly is available over the counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and Blackberry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at anomalypodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by JewelBeat.com And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. Were there any any challenges with magic bands or otherwise that a guest came to you with that you were like, oh, I don't think we're going to be able to do anything about this. This is just too big of an issue, too complex of an issue. And somehow you, probably with the help of others, were able to work something out for them that made them happy. Hmm. I'm sure there are times that that's happened. I honestly couldn't think of what they were, though. Okay. I There's one time near the end, it was near the end of the time that I worked there, there was a family that came up to me at the concierge desk. They were concerned that they didn't have enough dining points for the meals that they were going to do. And their travel agent, whoever it was, told them that they were they could only use their dining points on certain days and that they had to save so many dining points because they were eating in Cinderella's castle and this and that. And I looked at their plan that their travel agent had booked them. They were on the deluxe dining plan. And I don't know if you've ever used that one before. I haven't used it, but I'm familiar with it. It's it's a lot of food. And the way the dining plan works is it's activated starting as soon as you check in and will work until the day until midnight the day you check out. So right. you have quite a lot of time to use this. Well, they had some misinformation and I'm looking at their reservation. They were afraid they had bought half their meals that first day because they thought they weren't going to have enough. And I just broke my heart that they were so misinformed. And I had to explain everything to them. I sat with them for two hours booking other reservations because they didn't realize they had so much to use. And the killer for me that I was really upset about was their travel agent had said that they were eating in Cinderella's castle. The travel agent had booked them Crystal Palace. Oh. Not Cinderella's royal table. And there was nothing available Cinderella's royal table for the entire length of their stay. I called the castle. I tried everything I could and I could not get these people that reservation and it broke my heart because Mm -hmm. it was the grandma had saved this was the grandma's first time she saved to bring her daughters and the grandkids. There was like eight or nine of them and that's the other thing that upset me was that I had to book all these reservations for them but it's such a large party it's very hard to book reservations for large groups of people so close to the date. Especially for kids like that. I mean, they're going to want every character meal on the planet. And those ones are very (laughs) hard to get into at times. Mm -hmm. And it just, it broke my heart that that, that they were so misinformed and I did everything I could to get them into places that they wanted to be in. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that one, I know I was really glad that I was able to help them and inform them the way they should have been. But it still was a little disappointing to me at the end that I wasn't able to do everything. 
Right. You did most of it, but there was that one piece that you just couldn't quite make happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they very much appreciated for the whole rest of their vacation all that time that you spent with them and all the work that you did for them. I certainly hope so. They seemed they came back to visit me a couple times and told me about the restaurant they went to and how much they loved it, which is the other thing that's really cool about working in resorts versus the parks. You see a guest one time and you have a great interaction with them. You're probably never going to see them again. But at the resorts, they're there six, seven days, and you're working at least five of those days. So they're going to keep coming back and finding you and telling you about their stay and what they've seen and what they've done. And that was really cool. I can imagine. The downside to that, though, was that you guests came up to you and was angry. They're going to keep finding you over and over and over again, too. <laughs> <laughs> Every silver lining has its clap. Yeah. Yes. Every once in a while that happens, but it's okay. <laughs> I, I imagine that those people were pretty far outweighed by the ones who came up to tell you the glowing stories. My gosh. Yeah, for sure. The... More stories than not. I re there's a couple guests that I just remembered because they're just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it any other way. <laughs> there's right. just some guests that stand out to you like, wow, that really happened to me. And then there, but otherwise, I know I, there was bad days where I had like angry guest after angry guest, but I honestly don't remember what they were angry about or why, because I had some guests who I booked bibbity bobbity boutique for their kids and the kid was so excited and that just turns it around for you mm -hmm. i imagine working especially in a concierge position or something like that it really helps you to learn to let go of the the negative complaining people and really remember and hold on to the ones that are excited and that had you know that were grateful for what you did Definitely. And that's just not in concierge. That's across the board, especially working at Disney, because you're going to encounter those angry guests. You're going to encounter them every day. But what you need to realize is that they're the ones whose vacation is not going to be that happy. What you need to focus on is ha being that positive light in that negative vacation and spreading that positive light to every guest that you meet. And that happens in attractions. When you're walking around the park, you'll see it with custodial guests all the time, just sitting there having conversations with the guests. Mm -hmm. And in the resorts, of course. Right. Yeah. And having those conversations, as you mentioned, that just makes me think that that's got to be one of the most important, but maybe undervalued uh, parts of the job, because you might be talking to someone that is having one of those less than magical days and don't even realize it. It's not why they're having the conversation with you. You just are having some other, you know, something else has come up or you're just striking up conversation. And just through the course of doing that, it brightens their day and kind of turns their day around. Very much so. So at the resorts, you were a concierge and obviously trainer with the, the Magic Band system. Were you trainer before Magic Bands or did that, come with the introduction of the magic bands um i had been put up for trainer my the magic bands had come within had started coming within six months of me being there and you can't be a trainer until you're on, uh, around six months at an area so they okay. happened i trained guests uh, i trained cast members on the front desk and on the concierge but it just happened to coincide with 
the launch of the Magic Bands. Okay. So it happened around the same time. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then did you do anything else at the resorts? Um, I was, so when you're first there, you have to spend your first few weeks on the front desk learning how to check people in and getting that routine down. So my first six weeks were spent on the front desk. I got a Spanish check-in. I don't really, I, I speak a little Spanish, but not a whole lot. I could do a Spanish check-in almost perfectly if I knew what country they were from. Really? Yes. Because we got How's those a that? lot of the all-stars. Uh, the biggest thing with the country was I had to know what country they were from. So I knew how to ask them if they had a car because there's about six different words for car and each was different in every country. So okay. the word for car is different in Mexico, is different in Puerto Rico, is different in Spain, is different in Argentina. So, but I, so I got to learn that. I learned a few Portuguese words during that time. That was pretty cool. And then after that, I got trained on the concierge end, and I was there for a, the majority of the rest of the time. Near the end of my stint at the resorts, I did a lot of back office training for the Magic Bands, and I actually learned the back office of the resorts, which is this little room with some computers where you sit and put people into rooms and find out if the rooms are clean and all of that, and you answer phone calls from guests and from the front desk about rooms and things like that. Okay. Was there anything, especially for room requests that would come in, was there anything that people did uh, that affected it one way or the other to any significant degree as far as getting a room that was what they were really hoping for? We tried as hard as we could. We we start looking at reservations to put them into rooms, usually three or four days in advance, something along that lines. And one of the first things we look for is if they have any special requests. And we try to fill those as much as possible. Usually, the, unless we're really, really full, we will like, and, or every single person coming in that day for some reason asks, is asking for Toy Story at All-Star Movies. For the majority we'll try and fill those requests. Now, if you come in at seven in the morning saying you want a clean and ready room, we might not have one in that. So we may have to give you out of your requests to give you your current request, which is a room that's ready now. Right. So it all balances. We try and do what we can and it all balances on when the guest comes in and if we can meet those needs at that time. Uh huh. I don't know if this is a complicated question. It might be one that's not even really great for the show, but it's something I'm curious about as a travel agent. If somebody has, uh, a, like, let's say that there's three parties traveling together, three families traveling together, and one of them has a specific room request, like they want, uh, you know, garden view close to the elevators at whatever resort, and the other's, don't have a preference, they just want to be close to that one, is that more complicated or do, at least in what you had done, does it really affect it very much? It, again, we have a report that pulls all the different guest requests and one of the reports that's pulled is a travel with report and in that report it lists how many rooms are traveling together and we book those first so that we know, like we block those into rooms first. So we know where like, okay, this is a party of three. 
this person requests this room, so they need to be in this one. We'll put those two next to it, and we'll lock them into that room so we can't move them. Okay. So it's one of the first. It's one of the first things. That's how I was trained to do it. Now, granted, mm-hmm. this could be different at every resort on property, but my trainer taught me to do it that way. Is you open that report first, and you throw those ones in there because that's when you have the most space, and that's where you can give them their requests as best as possible. Right. That makes sense, yeah. I actually have some guests that are traveling in the spring of next year that are going to be staying at Port Orleans uh, Riverside. Oh, and nice. Yeah, yeah. and the, the guest that originally contacted me, kind of a spearheading this whole thing, wants a royal room. So I'm like, okay, you're going to be in one of these two buildings. I put in the request for the building that would get them, you know, hopefully closest to the main buildings and everything like that. And then another one that's traveling with them also wants a royal room. Piece of cake, tie that together, great. Third one wants a standard room. Different building. Yes. So but like, okay. When we when we see things like that, if the way I would do it, and again, this is different than every other cast member, the way I would do it is if I saw two royal rooms and one non-royal room, I would first look to see if we have any upgrade, free upgrades that day. And if possible, I would free upgrade them to that room so they'd all be in the same building. If we did not have any upgrades available for that day, I like say rural rooms of buildings one and two and standards are building three and four, I would make sure that those guests are in two and the standard one is in three. So they were as close as possible. Right. And probably in the section of the buildings that are closest to each other, if you could. Exactly. Certain wings and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. I would imagine that's the way most do it. It certainly makes sense to me of the way that it, it you know, quote, should be done. Yes. So I'm glad to know from someone who's done that kind of thing, kind of what the mindset tends to be on that. Yes. As several of the cast members that I've worked with, that's, that's the goal. That's what we aim to do. Got it. Okay, cool. Did, did you get a lot of guest interaction in that back office stuff besides like faxed requests coming in? <laughs> That's the one thing that I really didn't care for back office that much about is that it wasn't a lot of guest interaction. It was a lot of cast member interaction, and it was a, got mm-hmm. a lot of getting talked at on the phone. And oh, yeah. that's the one thing about I always like being in person better because if you're in person, we can talk. I am a human to you. I'm not just a voice on a phone. And we can actually talk as opposed to if you're angry and you just want to yell, you're not going to care because I'm just a voice on the phone right so and like I would go there was get I would be on the phone with a cast member out front and there was a angry guest out front saying that like being mean to my um cast member out front and I'd walk out there with my headset on and be like what are you doing to my cat my cast member stop it (laughs) and did that usually stop him Eh, half and half I'm not very intimidating. Okay. Again, I'm like five foot one. I'm just a little short person know. with a headset. <laughs> I don't know. I've learned that sometimes it's the the shorter people that <laughs> you, know, you really need to be cautious about. <laughs> you know. That is true. Yes. So I have a couple of friends who are under five feet tall, and man, you just don't cross them. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So yeah. If I if you had come out to me, I. And probably immediately stop and apologize <laughs> <laughs> and then ask you, please don't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> so after you had done the back office things from what I know as I was 
learning about you a bit before we did this. You then actually did get into the education programs uh, back over at Hollywood Studios, right? Yes, that actually happened at the same time I was working at the All-Stars. So the way that the youth education series works, which were the programs that I taught, you can be a full-time cast member with them, you could be a part-time cast member with them, or you could be a cross-you, which is a cross, I believe it's supposed to be like cross-utilized cast member. So my full-time area was the All-Stars, but they would work with my schedulers at the All-Stars and they would say, I need Jessica to teach a program on Tuesday and Friday. Can we pull her on those days? And so they would pull me out of concierge on the All-Stars or give me a later shift at the All-Stars, and I would be working at studios. Okay. Got it. Yeah, I talked to somebody else. I'm trying to remember right now who it was that also taught in the youth education series. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't remember who it was. Uh, so what did you teach in that, and how did that kind of what was that like? Uh, the first program I taught was actually a brand-new program. I was on the opening team for it. And it was called Science of Disney Imagineering. This program is a physics-based program. It covers Newton's laws of motion in relation to Tower of Terror and Rock and Roller Coaster. It was a very cool program. They, it takes you through the parks. You learn about Newton's laws of motion while using tablet technology which had different videos and things like that on there, as well as being able to ride two of the biggest attractions in Hollywood Studios. Wow. And you learned, you, we did different experiments. It was, it was a very unique program. It was a lot of fun. And the second program I actually learned later is one that I actually don't know if they're doing it right now, unfortunately. Um, it was called Exploring Disney Animation History which was a program that took you through Magic of Disney Animation and One Man's Dream. Wow. Yeah, they probably aren't doing it right now because I think both of those attractions are currently closed. Uh, well, One Man's Dream is still open, but yeah, they, oh, closed, okay. yeah, they closed animation a couple weeks ago. Right. So, but that yeah. one... Hoping we... they don't close One Man's Dream. You and me both. I I just went there and took some pictures in there because I'm just like, I am going to be so heartbroken. I have a feeling it's coming. I really do. But mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm heartbroken about it. It's the only way to really learn about Walt. I actually had a guest one time walk up to me and ask me, told they were angry about something. And they actually came to my concierge desk and told me, I want to speak to Walt Disney. Get him on the phone. I want to speak to him right now. And I'm just looking at him flabbergasted. <laughs> like... You're actually serious. You really, wow. you're you're serious right now, aren't you? And I actually had to straight face tell that gentleman Walt Disney died about 50 years ago. And it wasn't until he looked it up on his phone that he actually believed me. Wow. On the other hand, at least he assumed that Walt Disney was a real person, which a lot of people don't even recognize that anymore. This yeah. is very true, yes. That's why I consider that attraction to be such, it's such an important attraction because even if people are just going in there to get out of the three o'clock storms in studios every summer, people are going in there and they're seeing that Walt was a human being and all the things that he did. And that's like the only place that you can do that at anymore. Absolutely. 
unless you're going to the museum in California. And Joe Schmo is Joe Schmo will come to Hollywood Studios. Joe Schmo isn't going to walk into the Walt Disney Family History Museum. They're going to be like, what is that? Right. And half of the ones that would are going to say, you know, I'm going to Disneyland for a few days. I think maybe I'll take an afternoon and go to the Walt Disney Family Museum, not understanding that it's several hundred miles away. <laughs> it's not even close. Up in Northern California. Exactly. So, you know, even someone who's on a Disney vacation in Southern California isn't going to get it. Mm-hmm. So for these education programs were those one day things or were they week long oh they only lasted three to four hours usually three or four hours okay and it would be a lot of it would be a lot of school programs um both national and international programs which was very neat um teaching with the animation one you got to draw a character and you got to learn how movies are made and why it was so amazing what Walt did to make an animated full-length feature and it was it was it was a lot of fun teaching those because you there was moments in the program where my like teacher self got really excited because like I'd be dropping a ball from something and they would wouldn't expect it to do something and it did what they didn't expect and they'd all be like wow and I was like yes teaching moment yes (laughs) very cool and i remembered and i didn't remember let's be honest i looked it up the other person that i interviewed that was uh involved in the youth education series program was holly bartell at the one out at disneyland oh very nice i interviewed her back and we talked about it in episode 73 so about 20 episodes ago very cool she had that experience um so i'm glad to get on you know the east coast's take on the the program yeah we have a very wide variety of programs because not only do we have the youth education series which covers these science and history type programs but we also have the animal side of it as well because there's several programs that deal that are we're together but separate because they have certain standards that they have to do because they're relating to the animals and those programs are in epcot and in uh, animal kingdom right makes sense so the the science one and the the animation one those were both in hollywood studios correct and then the ones you just mentioned were in epcot and animal kingdom Mm -hmm. uh did the magic kingdom have anything like that Oh, yes. Magic Kingdom has several. I actually got to do a they were revamping one and I got to do a walkthrough of it, which is very cool. They have um, a couple science programs and they have a history one. The history one is the one I got to walk through. You actually get to walk on the stage of Hall of Presidents and be standing next to the presidents on the stage. It's very cool. Wow. Okay, that sounds amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty awesome. And I assume this is something that schools register for or, you know, intro or entry to it that way. Mm-hmm. The school approaches Disney to want to do this. It, it could be schools. I've had Girl Scout troops, especially the animation one. That was a very, very popular one, especially for Girl Scout troops. Um, some of the international groups that come to visit, some of the Latin groups, they have to have certain educational criteria on some of their trips. And so they'll do a couple of the programs. I had a group from Hawaii, actually, that came. They were doing a technology convention, and this was part of the 
part of their educational portion of this technology convention was coming here and doing the science program. Oh, okay. Wow. So how long did you do the education programs for? Probably it was about a year and a half. Oh, nice. I believe I started the science program when it opened in the late summer of 2013. No, late summer. No, I can't keep track. <laughs> I can't even remember anymore. But I did the science program for a little over a year. And then I did the animation program for about two or three months. And I was supposed to be trained on the third program in studios. And I had broken my toe and I wasn't able to walk around anymore. Oh. So that was sad. Yeah. But, what is that third one? Um, oh, my gosh. Total brain fart on it. I feel really bad about this. <laughs> it's okay. But there's a there's a third program that's also, if I remember correctly, it's also science related, and I can't think of it for the life of me. That's really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come to but you later. But if you go to the yes, yes, if you go to the yes program website, all of them are listed on there. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. I'll put a link in the show notes, and people can go see what's there. And some of them may have even changed awesome. since you did it. So yeah, especially that art one. Yeah. And I'm going to assume there's probably something on the website about how to uh, get your group involved with that, too. So that'll be good for people who think yes. that this sounds really interesting, like I do, to you know, get more information about it. Uh, we, of the two that you taught, even though you did the animation one for a shorter time than the science one, uh, was one or the other of them your favorite to teach? I really liked the animation one because it allowed me to show not just my education passion, but my Disney passion as well. I was able to talk about why Walt is so cool and explain why he did what he did. And I think that one really was really cool to me because I was able to talk about him. Mm -hmm. And you don't normally get opportunities to do that. Even when working at Walt Disney World, you really don't get many opportunities to talk about Walt. Right. <laughs> so I really liked it for that. Not that I didn't love my science program. Sure. Because there was some, there was just some aha moments in that where I just looked at all the kids' faces. I was like, I knew you were going to do that. Yes. <laughs> uh, talking about your love of Walt and how you don't really get to talk about it so much, even being at Walt Disney World, I'm wondering if part of the reason that maybe it doesn't come up so much is because so many people refer to the, you know, the Magic Kingdom itself or the resort as a whole or whatever as just Disney. And not by the full name. And so that kind of disassociates the person from the location. I definitely think that's a thing. I saw that throughout the parks. Like one of, one of those other, I want to be snarky, but I can't moments was standing in Hollywood studios and someone coming up to me. How do we get to Disney World? Inside, I just wanted to be like, ta-da, you're here. <laughs> Disney magic. <laughs> Poof. Spin around in a circle and you're here. Ta-da. But I knew they meant the Magic Kingdom, but it's just Disney is Magic Kingdom. And the other parks, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard Hollywood Studios being called Universal Studios. I'm like, that is no, no, all kinds of no. <laughs> yeah. But I, I completely agree with that. It's people don't realize that while he's not here anymore, but he had, we wouldn't have this if it wasn't for him. He right. had such an impact, and a lot of people I really don't think realize that. I think you're right. 
Yeah. I know so many people and people who are massive Disney fans and who think Walt is wonderful and everything that still just refer to Walt Disney World as Disney. You know, I'm going to Disney. And I think it's mainly like an East Coast thing. And I don't really know why. But I think back to when it was originally going to be called Disney World. And Roy, his brother, said, no, we're going to change the name and we're going to call it Walt Disney World because I don't want people to ever forget who this came about because of. And now it's been shortened so that not only is Walt's name not in it anymore, World's not in it anymore, it's just Disney, which to me is a company, not a person. And I'll be honest, even after working there and consciously knowing that, I will slip into that every once in a while. I mean, I live half an hour, 40 minutes from there. And I work day to day with people who are not a Disney people. And so I'll, like, I will do my best to say Walt Disney World as much as I can. But then there's every once in a while where it's like, oh, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I went to Disney because it's, I can drive to it in half an hour. And so it's, it's a very, it's a very hard thing to fall into, especially being so close to it. And I know I've done it, but uh-huh. it's, it's definitely something that people do without realizing and it's been ingrained into them because of hearing it from other places. Yeah, it happens a lot. The, there was talk for a while about renaming Disney's California Adventure to Walt Disney's California Adventure. And I can't even imagine what we would have done out here with that term. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that we would not have continued to say you know, Walt Disney's California Adventure. It's just, it's too long. It, yeah, it wouldn't have lasted very long, I'm sure. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. technically, Animal Kingdom and Hollywood Studios are Disney's Animal Kingdom and Disney's Hollywood Studios. You don't see people saying that very often either. They just, they just don't get that nomenclature. <laughs> yeah. And then it gets more complicated with things like, for reasons I don't understand, maybe there was a, a shortage of apostrophes and s's at some point they renamed disney's california adventure to disney california adventure no apostrophe s huh i don't think i even noticed that that's very interesting yeah they did that three years ago or so when they like unveiled all that stuff right around that time they did it just a little bit before that yeah right before buena vista street and cars land and all i don't know why it doesn't really make any sense to me but there's some smart person in a room somewhere. I assume there's a smart person in a room somewhere <laughs> that decided this was a good idea. Sounds about how it's how everything's decided. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, so do you have any other special memories, getting back to the YES program, uh, of that program before we kind of move on to uh, talking about some other things for a little while? <laughs> One of the last programs I did, I mentioned that group from Hawaii. I was in the middle of teaching it. We had just sat... On some benches where we're about to do our first experiment on um, Sunset Boulevard. And we're about to sit there. We're about to do something. And then I hear one of them scream, squirrel! And they all go running. And I'm just like, what just happened? (laughs) And I'm just looking at one of the, because I'm the only cast member that's, when you have a group, you're usually the only cast member with it. And I just, I look at one of the chaperones and I'm just like, explain and they say um in hawaii we don't have squirrels this is a lot of their first time ever seeing a squirrel was yesterday i'm like oh okay cool take some pictures of the squirrel i'll be here when you're done <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was because they like 
walls are everywhere, especially in Disney, because there's food everywhere. And so, like, every 10 minutes or so, I'd be like, look, there's another one. Oh, my God, it's a squirrel. And I'm just like, this is hysterical. <laughs> I was just like, that's one of the learning all these different cultures. You learn so many new things from all these different cultures. And I think the other one that was interesting was I had to teach an entire science program to a group who only spoke Spanish. How did so, you manage that? Luckily, I had about two that kind of understood English and a chaperone that kind of knew some of the words. So I would say a sentence and they would say sort of the same thing in Spanish. <laughs> and so I had like a ball and a cup and I was doing an experiment with it and I'd like hold it up and point to it and they'd say what the word was in Spanish. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'd try, like we kept trying to teach each other, which was interesting, but it was just, Program definitely that was definitely an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like dragged on, like okay, we're gonna go on the ride now, and I can't do because you have before you go on, especially Tower of Terror and Rock and Roller Coaster, you have a safety spiel you have to do. Anyone who's mm -hmm. shorter, you need to measure up. You don't have any heart, neck, or back problems. Da 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 da. da. I'm like, I can't do this spiel in Spanish, and I need it to be said to them verbatim. Um, and so I like brought the one who knew, who at least was the best one translating. I was like, okay, I'm going to talk slow and you need to say exactly what I say to them. They're like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> we'll make this work. But it was, it was definitely interesting. It was a lot of fun. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. So this is now kind of the end of your time working at Walt Disney World as we've got the back office stuff and concierge and everything, and then the yes program. But uh, I want to take a minute to jump way back to the very beginning of your time there. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you remember most about your traditions class? Let's see. Very. One of the first things I remember, they, they split you up in the groups and they put you in different rooms. And you travel in these different groups to go through different parts of the training, such as getting um, information on the union, getting information on, like, banks and paychecks and things like that. And so that was the first part of it. And you spent an hour and a half going through all these different rooms where they threw information at you. And you're just sitting there like, okay. And <laughs> there was training questions that we got to answer later all in the afternoon. We got all these little like statues. I still have mine actually sitting in my little china cabinet here. We, if you answered a Disney question correctly, haha, me and my Disney knowledge, you got, <laughs> right. you got these little plastic statues. So that was very exciting. And they brought in our name tags. And that was, it took all because I was really the only one in the room who was like a diehard Disney fan in that specific group. It took all of my strength. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Jessica Clausen for being my guest and to you for listening. Next time, we'll finish up with Jessica talking about some challenges she's had to overcome, what inspires her, her advice to you, and of course, more stories. 
I'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Choose from titles like my book, Faith and the Magic Kingdom. You can pick that one or any of the 180,000-plus audiobooks as your free trial book, and it's yours to keep whether you choose to continue your membership or not. To download your free audiobook today, go to storiesofthemagic.com slash audible. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com slash audible for your free audiobook. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, you're blogging, writing or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, then I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who have worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or had any special Disney experience you want to share, or maybe you'd like to give a compliment or a thank you for something that Disney has done, I'd love to hear from you too. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. And while you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode. Like this one will have links to the information about the Youth Education Series, and you can find out how to possibly be part of that program, or find out what else is involved in it. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too, and so that these guests can have many more people hear their stories. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.